story is told about a depressed man who was sitting at a bar just looking at his drink. He sat like that for half an hour, just looking at it. And then suddenly a big, mean-looking man walked up to him, took the drink away from the guy, and drank it all down. Well, that caused the depressed man to start crying. The other man tried to cheer him up by saying, Now, come on, man. I was just joking. I'll buy you another one. I can't stand seeing a man cry. The depressed man said, No, it's not just that. This day is the worst day of my life. First of all, I overslept and I got to work late. My boss, in a, in a temper fit, fired me. When I left the building and went to my car, I found out it was stolen. So I took a cab home, but after the cab drove off, I realized my wallet was still in the cab. Then I walked in the house, and I realized that my wife had packed everything up and left me. So finally, finally I came to this bar. And when I was about to end my life, you showed up and you drank my drink with the poison that I had put in it. Could my day get any worse? But seriously, discouragement and depression are actually nothing to joke about. Here are some words that maybe some of you can relate to. What name shall we give to this darkness within against which our soul is helpless to fight? What shall we call this attitude grim that smothers our heart and refuses the light? What is this occasional shadow on our emotions that Winston Churchill called his black dog? What is this heaviness of heart that caused a poet to write, I have excluded myself from society, and yet I never meant any such thing. I have made a captive of myself and put me into a dungeon, and now I cannot find the key to let myself out. What is the name of this darkness?
Its name is depression. I'm calling the sermon today The Hills and Valleys of Life. So, what is depression? Well, it's an extended period of despondency that greatly curtails or even destroys a person's ability to function as a healthy, happy child of God. And what are the symptoms of depression? Well, they may include sadness, moodiness, feeling discouraged, angry, and being irritable. They may include painful thoughts, such as guilt, helplessness, worthlessness, and even sometimes the desire to die. There may be feelings of anxiety, being worried, and tense. Physical symptoms may include sickness, no appetite, headaches, and insomnia. And who becomes depressed? Well, Doctors say that depression is to the emotions what the common cold is to the physical body. It strikes about every one at some point, sometime in life. About one American in 20 is depressed at any given time. Women are depressed twice as often as men. People in upper income brackets are three times more likely to be depressed than those with lower incomes. That's interesting. So, what about Christians? What about Christians? Do Christians get depressed? Well, the answer is yes. God's children are not immune to becoming depressed. But as God's children, we ought to be better equipped to handle and recover from depression but still, we are not immune to it. We are not immune to it. Do you realize that some of the greatest people in the Bible that we read and study about are people that went through times of depression? Moses once became so, so blue and down and discouraged that he asked God to take his life. 
in Numbers chapter 11. Jonah, after the great revival he had at Nineveh, Jonah did the very same thing. Jonah chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says that he despaired even of life at certain points in his ministry. And here's another well-known character in the Bible who became depressed. Prophet Elijah. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 19. On the first Sunday of last month, you can remember back, we studied the account of Elijah's great victory at Mount Carmel over the false prophets of Baal. And I call that sermon Showdown on Mount Carmel. You know, Elijah was a brave and courageous prophet. He was a man of great faith and obedience and humility. But as James says in James 5, 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man just like us. He was a human being who was also subject to human problems, as we all are. The prophet Elijah experienced discouragement, despondency, and yes, depression. And on one occasion that's recorded for us in 1 Kings 19, he couldn't shake it. I'm glad that when God gives us the accounts in the Bible of his great men and women, He never ignores their weaknesses. He never hides their failures. So let's go back this morning and review for just a moment what brought Elijah to that low point, that valley in his life. In the sermon last month, in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, we studied how Elijah, how God sent Elijah to wicked King Ahab to announce the start of a three-year drought. And then God sent Elijah to hide at the brook Cherith where God supplied his needs in a more miraculous way. And then when the brook dried up because of the drought, God sent Elijah to a widow's house at Zarephath, where God again provided for Elijah and the widow and her son in a miraculous way. And then God sent Elijah back to King Ahab to announce to Ahab the end of the drought and also to propose a showdown on Mount Carmel. 
all the people of Israel were asked to come to the showdown along with 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And we read and studied about how the prophets of Baal failed that test. And they failed because Baal was nothing. Baal was nothing. We read and studied how God then sent down fire from heaven on the sacrifice that Elijah had made and it burned up the sacrifice and the altar that Elijah had built and it licked up the water in the trench around the altar. So, having won the hearts of the people of Israel then back to God, Elijah ordered the execution of those false prophets. And in the text that Mike read today just a few moments ago in chapter 18, in that text almost immediately God lifted the drought. And then we read with the power of God upon him, Elijah raced Ahab's chariot on foot all the way to Jezreel and he beat him. And that's where we're going to pick up Elijah's account for today. Beginning in 1 Kings 19 verses 1 and 2. The death threat. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You know, there are a couple of interesting things that we can see right there in, in those verses. First of all, it's clear from those verses who was the dominant person in Ahab's marriage. If anybody should have sent a threatening message to Elijah or made a plan to kill him, it should have been Ahab, not his wife Jezebel. But look who took the lead. It was Jezebel who sent the message and made a plan to kill the prophet Elijah. Jezebel was the one running the show. The other interesting thing is that when Jezebel made that vow to kill the prophet Elijah, she included the idea that the gods could strike her dead if she wasn't able to do it in 24 hours. Now, it's almost funny that she would mention those gods because they were the very same gods who didn't show up at the showdown on Mount Carmel. So had she forgotten that her gods were helpless and useless 
and nothing? So how did Elijah react to those developments and that death threat from Jezebel? Well, chapter 19 goes on and, and tells us. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, is that the reaction that you would expect from Elijah after everything he's been through? We wouldn't expect him to fall for that wicked woman's empty threat. We might expect Elijah to say to himself, now, God's in control here, not Jezebel, so don't worry about her threats. Just trust God like you've done for all these years. That's not what happened here. That's not what happened. Elijah was overcome by fear and he fled. He ran for his life. And when he came to a broom tree after a day's journey in the desert, he plopped down in total, complete despair so after everything that Elijah had been through why did Elijah have such an uncharacteristic reaction why did Elijah sink so deeply into a depression so soon after reaching the highest point of his life and his work for God Well, there are at least two possibilities. First reason for his reaction may be the mountaintop slash valley experience. You know, once we hit an emotional high point in our lives, there's nowhere to go but down. That sometimes happens to people after a major positive event in their lives. Like after graduation from high school or college, the fear of what then sets in. Sometimes after the birth of a child, there can sometimes be a letdown. And doctors call that a postpartum depression. Sometimes after moving into a new house, the feeling of, well, is this it? Sets in. And you know, even after baptism into Christ, 
Satan often comes at us with his strongest attacks. So maybe that's what happened right here with Elijah. Second possible reason for Elijah's depression may be the idea of the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, Elijah had successfully faced King Ahab and those pagan prophets on Mount Carmel. But now, Jezebel's death threat may have been just too much. All by itself, Jezebel's threat might not have affected him like it did, but coming on top of everything else that had happened, it may have been, as we say, the straw that broke the camel's back. Sometimes, you know, it takes takes all of our strength to handle a really big problem that we're dealing with. And then along comes a little problem, a minor problem, maybe a, maybe a flat tire or a, a burned meal or spilled milk or, or whatever, and it pushes us over the edge. The big problems drain us. And then the little problems drive us into a depression. So whatever set it off, Elijah was obviously depressed. And he was just ready to, to give up and quit. So let's spend just a few minutes this morning looking at how God offered solutions for the causes of Elijah's depression. Four causes and cures for Elijah's depression. Number one, the first cause of Elijah's depression was overexertion. Overexertion. You see, Elijah was physically worn out. Look at what he had been through physically. Years of roughing it in the wilderness. First at the brook Cherith, and then at the widow's house in Zarephath during the drought. And then there was that intense activity for a whole day at Mount Carmel. And then the text that Mike read tells us that he ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, which was about 20 miles. And he then ran for his life from Jezreel to Beersheba, the southernmost city in Israel, and that's about 100 miles on foot. Look at the map. And then from Beersheba, he went about a day's journey on down into the desert. So when Elijah sat down under that broom tree, he had to be suffering from physical exhaustion. 
He was probably weak from the sun's heat, weak from a lack of food, worn out from all the physical exertion, activity. So no wonder he got depressed. It's hard to be positive when you're physically worn out and totally, completely exhausted. So what was God's solution for this cause of Elijah's depression? Two things. Rest and food. What Elijah needed was a long nap and some good food. Chapter 19 says, beginning with verse 5, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. There is nothing unspiritual or trivial about our health. Health-related problems can be the cause of depression. And the advice that we sometimes need is get enough rest and eat right. And that was part of God's prescription for Elijah. The second cause of Elijah's depression was being overburdened. Elijah tried to carry too much. And he tried to carry it all by himself. The chapter says in verses 9 and 10, And there, that's at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, same place, he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Maybe God's question there in verse 9, what are you doing here, Elijah, was God's way of prompting Elijah to talk about his problems, talk about his frustrations. And one thing is for sure, Elijah jumped at it. He jumped at the chance to speak. And Elijah's answer shows his frustration. He says, I've been zealous, and I'm the only one left. So what was God's solution for this cause of depression? A renewed view of God. Chapter 19 says, beginning with verse 11, 
Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. What Elijah needed to be reminded of was that God, God is the Almighty God. No one person, you might say, is indispensable. We as individuals do God's work, but we do it only by His grace and power. Elijah had gotten, as we say, tunnel vision. And all he could see was his work, his problems, and himself. And he was trying to carry them all alone by himself. So God helped him to see the most important thing, which is God himself. Do you ever get overburdened and just feel like it's all up to you? If so, then God's prescription is to take a good look at heaven. Depression distorts our perspective, but taking a better look at God can restore it. The third cause of Elijah's depression was self-preoccupation. When we get depressed, we may become self-blaming, self-demanding, and sometimes self-hating. And we may draw up a, a mental list of our faults and our problems and our sorrows. In other words, we feel sorry for ourselves. We may feel like no one understands and no one cares. So we have a, we have a pity party. In verse 4, Elijah said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. In verses 10 and 14 in the chapter, Elijah says in both verses, he says, I alone am left. 
all he could see was the focus on himself. So what was God's solution for Elijah's self-preoccupation? Turn the focus outward. God didn't tell Elijah just to snap out of it. Like sometimes people might say today to a depressed person, which is the wrong thing to say. Instead, he basically said, Elijah, do this, and then do this, and then do that. Chapter says, beginning with verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You see, God wanted Elijah to turn his attention away from himself and his feelings back toward his duties toward others. We all need a cause. We all need a concern. And we all need a commitment outside of ourselves. So God put Elijah back to work. God told Elijah to get off the couch and go do these things. And God also said to him, Oh, by the way, Elijah, you're not alone. You're not alone. There are 7,000 in Israel who are still on my side. final cause of Elijah's depression was isolation. Where was Elijah when he just gave up and prayed to God that he might die? Where was he? Well, he was out in the desert. Out in the desert under that broom tree, absolutely alone. Being totally isolated from others can cause loneliness and depression. So God's solution for Elijah was to establish new relationships and get closer to others. Last verses in chapter 19 tell us, beginning with verse 19, <clears throat> So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, 
and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. God sent Elijah, Elijah to anoint Elisha to take his place as prophet. And then Elisha followed Elijah and became his helper, his attendant. Elisha, the prophet in training, stuck close to Elijah, learning from him and sharing in his work and his mission. You know, Nothing makes the work go faster and makes the load lighter than to have somebody that you can work with. And you know that's really what being a part of a church is all about. We need support and encouragement from each other in our work for the Lord. God has not created and designed us to live like hermits in a cave. He created us to live in friendship and fellowship with others. Elijah was a man just like us. And that means he had his ups and downs and he experienced and understood for himself the hills and the valleys of life. Elijah's depression was paralyzing until he followed God's prescription. For his overexertion, rest and food for his being overburdened, he found a renewed view of God. For his self-preoccupation, he turned his focus outward and did something for others. And for his isolation, he formed new relationships with others. So, if you ever find yourself in a depressed condition... Think about that list of causes in the account of Elijah and try to carry out the appropriate cures. When we get depressed, we also need to keep in mind three simple truths that we see working in Elijah's life. First of all, God wants the very best for us. Number two, God knows right where we are and what we are feeling. And number three, God knows what we need and he can supply it. 
There was a man named Sir Harry Lauder who was a British entertainer that was popular throughout the English-speaking world both before and during and after World War I. During World War I, Sir Harry Lauder worked to organize and find performers for shows that were put on for the soldiers serving overseas. When Sir Harry Lauder's only son was killed in World War I, he said this to a friend. When a man comes to a thing like this, there are just three ways out of it. There is drink, there is despair, and there is God. And by his grace, the last one is for me. God is the only way out of a depression. Now, that's not to say that seeking help and using medication are not things that God can use to help somebody out of a depression. But when those things are helpful, it's only because they are instruments used by God that go along with our faith and our trust in the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today, if you're not a Christian, Christ invites you to come to him and become a member of God's family, the church. And the New Testament steps to do that are hearing the gospel of Christ preached, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, turning away from sin in repentance, confessing Christ and making him the Lord of your life, being immersed in the waters of baptism, and then rising up to live a new and a faithful life in Christ. Or if you as a Christian have public sin in your life that needs to be confessed in a public way, the invitation of Christ today is yours. As together we stand and sing.